I mean, this song is really personal for me. Uh, I definitely feel like there's something they've continually searched for. I think we partly get sold this idea of romance and this other person is going to complete you and there's definitely some of that in, in here. There's definitely some of my brokenness in here of trying to find that kind of right person um, and feeling like sometimes I missed that um, because I was scrambling so much, I think, to find this soulmate or this, this perfect person or to find this wife so quickly uh, <laughs> on, a, on a kind of kind of silly note all the men on my mother's side of my family were bald by the time they were 19 or 20 so I think I was just so desperate to find a girl and lock her down before I went bald <laughs> the classic Enneagram 3 problem <laughs> um, but I think you know, rushing through that I mean rushing through the story to, to find who I was and to find that partner you know is part of mm. part of the story of that brokenness for me um, mm-hmm. and something that I'm, I'm trying to to figure out now I think um, you know for the for the second time and I'm, I'm so grateful that that's that's life that we get these second chances and sometimes third mm-hmm. or fourth or fifth or sixth chances but you know to get the chance to do it better and to to um, really lean into to listening and to hearing your partner and and um, that's that's a huge part of kind of what I'm I'm kind of wrestling with Hey folks, welcome to As If Words Could Heal the Wounds, a podcast where we dive into the stories behind the songs of my first full-length album. I'm Ben Grace, an Aussie singer-songwriter who has been messing up Americana since 2011. Together with my friend and patron Chris Roberts, we'll discuss all 10 songs on the record and feature cameos from some of the people who influenced and helped make this record. Just a few notes before we get started. First, the album is now out. So, the minute you finish this episode, go stream it, heart it, save it, playlist it, or even better, buy it, wherever you like to get your music. If you've already done all of those things, then please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Amazon Music. Every little bit counts. I'm looking forward to hearing what you think of the record. Second, every week since the pandemic locked us down in early March, my housemates and I have been bringing joy and mayhem in the form of a show we like to call Heathen Happy Hour. It's about 90 minutes of cover songs by request, Gilmore Girls-esque rapid-fire conversation and hilarity, or at least we think so. Tune into our Facebook page, facebook.com slash heathenpodcast, at 7pm Pacific. That's 10pm for American East Coasters and 12pm for Australian East Coasters. Can't wait to see you in the comments. Lastly, this album and the podcast is made possible by the generosity of my patrons, or the drinking buddies as I refer to them affectionately. At the price of a pack of cigarettes or even a bottle of Jack Daniels, every month you too can be part of the community that supports my art. Patronage is a way that artists have made their living throughout the centuries. Back in the Romantic period, Rachmaninoff was certainly not selling sweaters to get by. So join the revolution and help me release music. Over the past two years, I've released a song about every other month. My patrons get access to demos, live music and more. You can head to my website, that's bengracemusic.com, and click on the Patreon link. Thanks in advance for your generosity. Okay, so let's jump into today's episode with my buddy Chris and I talking about the third song on the record, Preacher's Daughter.
So thinking about the stories in these songs, uh, one of the songs that has kind of the most linear story in some respects is, is Preacher's Daughter. Um, and, you know, we've talked about, about this tune quite a bit. Um, we did a podcast together about it and, you know, we've, we've shared some insights about it, but um, just tell the story about this. Like this is, there's some really, really powerful, powerful stuff happening in this for lots of reasons. Um, and I'm, and maybe in particular, you know, this is, you know, the, this is, this is Ben Grace telling Ben Grace's story. And this is kind of, you know, your sound and, and kind of, this is how you see it. So, you know, how did this, how does your experience growing up influence this song and kind of how you see it today and how you, how you live today, given what that story is? Yeah. It's, it's sort of funny because I think whilst this story is very particular, you know, it definitely has a, like you say, a linear kind of time up to it. It's very specific about the things that happen. It isn't, it didn't happen specifically like that to me. Uh, and, 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 sure. and that song isn't, you know, my specific story. And yet, uh, so much of it, I think, was inspired by um, my upbringing in church and kind of my own struggle. So how the song came about was uh, a good friend, Carla. I'm not sure what her last name is these days, whether she's changed or not. Uh, <laughs> Carla Godwin, I think she's coming by these days. Um, I've always had really close friends who are women. Um, I was surrounded by women growing up in Sunday school and um, have always kind of, you know, on the surface, I think, you know, people would say, if we're going to be really um, honest about kind of cliches, people would say my interests were feminine, you know, uh, and, and I was an emotional guy and, you know, I, I've worn skinny jeans for a long time and I've kept my hair long. And, <laughs> um, but, but I think, you know, a lot of that, I think, is my, um, the, 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 the thing that I've been trying to find to connect to myself, to my spirituality and to my sexuality and to to find what that inner shape looks like. So the song is essentially about uh, a love that's lost, but it has a lot of underpinning to it. Um, has the opinion of patriarchy mm-hmm. in church because the preacher's daughter never says anything the whole time. She doesn't have a voice. She's not allowed to speak. Yeah. So that's the first defining thing. And it's one of the reasons why I love the song is because it has this central character that just ha- has no voice in it at all. Um, which I think, you know, is a difficult thing to write. The second part of that is not only is a voice silence, but her sexuality is, is silenced. And in, in the silencing of her sexuality in the, in a, the kind of, the, the purity culture of saying you're not allowed to do this and that we find out that that also damages the the guy because it hurts mm-hmm. him he doesn't get his he doesn't get that connection that fails for him as well um, and the, and there's kind of this you know classic missed connections that would come up in the in the New York Times or mm. in, uh, there's that longing and there's that sadness of, of what could have been what might have been on both sides mm-hmm. I think in this story uh, and so I think underpinning that all is all this kind of th- this kind of church theology around Eve and how how we have vilified female sexuality and how we have mm-hmm. weaponized um, this sort of toxic patriarchy that kind of says that the woman can't be trusted and and we can't you know we have a vice president of America who says I will never take a meeting with another woman if my wife isn't present you know in the room that this kind of uh, what's the word for it this this distrust of each other, this distrust across yeah. the genders that we can't have, have friendships and we can't have deep abiding 
relationships. Um, that it's that basically it's the when Harry met Sally problem. It's like men and women kind of be <laughs> kind of be friends because sex always gets in the way. Uh, and this song, obviously, yes, sex is part of the point. You know, part of the point is is the attraction, is this draw. But I think it's mm-hmm. more about that. I think it's it's more than that. I think it's about hearing a woman's thoughts all the way through and hearing her passions and hearing her longings and, and hearing that. Um, so for me, I think, you know, uh, that happened on a couple of levels. And one was, you know, the, the church I grew up in didn't allow women to speak at all, you know, in any, uh, even the more uh, informal meetings, uh, women weren't allowed to to say anything. If they had a question or a comment, they'd have to write it down and pass it to the, the closest man. Uh, and that never really sat well with me. And it took me, it was a while, probably into my late teens before I heard, heard a woman preach for the first time. And it just, the first time I was bawling. I mean, it was just, I feel like I'd missed half the story, you know. And, and it's something yeah. that, I, that I continue to, to listen to, I think, more and more is, uh, is women's voices. And I think particularly, you know, in the climate we're currently in, you know, black women's voices and, and black women who, are, who yeah. might be queer uh, just add so much to the dialogue in my opinion yeah, bring bring about facets of life and facets that I've never thought of and things of course because of my experience the white straight male uh, that just enrich my experience and, 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 and build my empathy and build my, my toolkit uh, and that's not just all about you know me building up me but about I think speaking into the larger uh, picture of, of uh, the world and society and Obviously, we're sitting here in historic times. We actually have a black woman, you know, being nominated to the vice presidency potentially, which I think is just well. She's been nominated to, as as the running mate for Biden, and hopefully, will go on to to be the vice president. And that's unbelievable. Preacher's daughter was born on the twenty seventh of March, twenty eighteen. I was fooling around on my vintage whirly in my apartment in Brooklyn, and had left my voice memo app recording. About two minutes into that jam, the opening lyric hits and you can hear the form of the song begin to take shape in real time. Here's the voice memo from the moment the song was born.
The next iteration of the song on my voice memos was from the 26th of April, 2018. I had the morning blocked off to write, and Carla was my remote accountability partner because she was also trying to get some writing done. Her feedback was essential in getting the story completed that day. A big motivation for getting the song finished in April was because I had a bunch of summer tours approaching, and one of those was with my friend Paul Deemer, who produced this track. Paul kindly sent me through some of his thoughts on the tune. I love this song. When Ben and I toured together, he'd play this one around the middle of the set every night. I'd joke with the crowd after he'd finish, saying, that's the best song either of us will play tonight, so it all goes downhill from here. There was some truth to that. Preacher's Daughter is an incredibly moving song, and a quintessentially Ben Grace song. After falling in love with the story and the song on tour, I was thrilled when Ben asked me to produce it. He'd been enjoying my album, I'm Glad You're Still Around, and asked if I could create a similar soundscape. I recruited my parents, Melanie and Tom Deemer, to play violin and viola, as well as our family friend, Shelley Jessup, to play cello. We set up a makeshift recording studio in the sanctuary of St. Philip Presbyterian, the church where I grew up, and recorded strings and grand piano. Then we took the song back to my apartment in East Dallas, where Ben recorded a powerful vocal performance. I remember us working hard to make sure the lyrics came across in earnest. It's a story song, and we didn't want to overpower the vocal. We tried to build a sparse but emotive bed of sounds to complement the lyric. Though I had originally heard the song as just piano and strings, we decided to add some more textures. Soft synth pads and spacey electric guitars to make the song feel like a distant memory or perhaps a repressed dream. Chris Jacoby in San Antonio, the producer for Penny and Sparrow, mixed the song with thoughtful sensitivity, and it ended up being my favorite song on the record. There's one other story that comes up um, in that is that I think uh, Easter of last year, Easter 2019, I just arrived in San Diego a couple months earlier and basically dropped my stuff off, been there for two weeks, 
then went back to New York to, to wrap up sort of some, some things there uh, and basically kind of say goodbyes and then went back to Australia for five weeks. And so I finally arrived back in San Diego right before Easter. Um, and, you know, that was a, it was a pretty huge trip back to Australia. There was a lot of things that I was processing and I was really kind of making some amends with family and other people and, and reconnecting with some of that story. And I'd got to Easter and I was in church and there was some part of me that was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like I just, you know, there'd been so much hurt and so much pain mm. um, around living in New York and the church that I helped start um, that I was like, I just don't think this is for me, you know. And I was, I was there with Karen. I was like, oh, I should, you know, it's Easter. I should kind of, you know, put on the face and go to church and do the thing. And and the, the second song was so emotional. I don't know if, if this is exactly right, but in my memory, it was Matthew, who's now my current housemate, played this song, um, which, which he'd found. It's, just, it's a pop song. It's pretty much what we do at Sojourn Grace is play pop songs. <laughs> and um, it was by this queer uh, female trio or duo, I think it is, um, called Muna. And played this song and the chorus lyric, which was, you know, I know a place where we can go where everyone can lay down their weapon, lay down their weapon. You don't have to be afraid of love and affection, so lay down your weapon. And I was, it just destroyed me. Like it was just, mm. it spoke into all of the things I was wrestling with that spoke directly to this, the, 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 you know, and everyone in the room was like, yes, like this is a place where these things are true. And I was like, but I don't want that. <laughs> I, I, I just was <laughs> wrestling so hard with, I didn't really, you know, I think, my journey of trying to find belonging was, was like this almost like, let me push away community and let me push away external, you know, um, places for that. Cause I've tried that so many times and I've been hurt and I've been burnt. Um, and then, so he played that song and I was like wrecked. And so I, I, I physically sort of got myself up and was trying to move towards the back of the room to find an exit. And then Kate started preaching and she preached the house down, you know, and she preached out of her own doubt and out of her own struggle with Easter. And I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she has been a real force. Uh, her and Karen are really close friends. And their, their insistence, the fact that basically what the world has been missing for so long is mothering. And the way we put the world back together is we figure out how to mother ourselves, figure out how to parent ourselves, and figure out how to, to, to bring ourselves closer to this divine feminine and to... And to all of all of the things that entails for the, the tenderness and for the patience and for the nurturing, and that that's that's been healing my life just on a weekly basis. Being around people like that who are mm. so fiercely, you know, and and it's not this classic like oh let's just be nice. Like Kate is fierce. She's an enneagram four. She is nasty. She's a classic nasty woman. She does not <laughs> mince her words online, and and I think that that ins insistence, no, 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 this is what you need. You need healing. You need wholeness. It's worth fighting for. It's worth bleeding for. And it's worth like, mm -hmm. it's worth all the gentleness and all the wrestle. Um, anyway, that's, that's a very long answer to Preacher's Daughter, but I think that's, that's what that song is about <laughs> yeah. for me. That song is, is about yeah. kind of the, the divine feminine that we have pushed under with patriarchal and pushed under with purity culture. And, and we've silenced that voice. And it's about time that that voice brings out true. I hope you enjoyed the story behind the song. Now here's the song in full.
and caught my eye. It passed from hand to hand and worked its way on down the aisle. Your mother, dear, one step ahead, intervened and tore those tender words to shreds. And I wondered what the preacher's daughter said. After the dance, your sweet sixteen, you grabbed my hand and dragged me out behind the cemetery. Your mouth was warm, your cheeks were red, and then your daddy came roaring and we fled. And I wondered what the preacher's daughter said. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of As If Words Could Heal the Wounds. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you're listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, send it to a male pastor, especially if they're a father. The record is out now, so go stream it, hard it, save it, playlist it, or even better, buy it wherever you like to get your music. Back next week with the fourth song off the album, Come to Bed My Darling. Bye for now.